Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. Oh, you're hopping into the internet marketing world. That's curious oh, for to me. sure. That we're going backward. We're going, yeah, we're doing the opposite. So why are you doing yeah. that? Good question. First of all, I, one of my first loves as a kid was like studying direct response market, like marketers and business. Like that was my first proper introduction to business. I ended up getting like a, a proper, like went to school. I had a mentor that worked at McKinsey. I worked in management consulting. So I got like the full on like blue chip business experience. But I've always had this like fantasy in my head of like, dude, if they could do it, I can do it too. Um, and I, you know, just serendipitously, like one of the first projects I worked on as a consultant was at Microsoft writing copy for the Microsoft Office 2010 launch for the enterprise segment. Um, so yeah, no, but look, I I had a big, big reset in 2019. Like at the time, we'll just jump right in. I mean, at the time I was traveling around the world raising investment capital for a half billion dollar startup and on one on one side on the other side raising investment capital for uh, a crypto fund i'll just call it a syndicate and this is in 2019 this was in the, the end of 2018 dude i'm so jealous that you were in crypto at that point because you're pro- you're probably freaking billionaire status because you were into crypto in 2018 it was super low then yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely not billionaire status, but um, it was. It wasn't just that it was low. It was. It's like any emerging market, especially when trading and and investing is involved. The earlier you go, the more risk there is. But of course, man, the more rewards there are. And if you're able to go in like a good entrepreneur and identify the patterns, you know, like business is, has a rhythm. They all there's all these patterns at the different levels. And so what we did is we went in and I figured out that. It was so early and so risky. And if you study like markets, for example, like bubble markets, and this was really popular when I got into crypto, like 16, 17, 18, they talked a lot about the tulip market, the Dutch tulip market story. Yeah, yeah. I heard that. Yeah, and bubble. so what I've found is that like the advantage when markets are really, really early like that is information asymmetry. And how do you get information asymmetry? It's not on the internet, it's from talking to human beings and getting into social circles. And that's like, that's like my jam. That's what I'm here to do. You know, I'm a social animal. I've got an amazing network. I've been building it forever. And so I was like, I just looked at the opportunity and I was like, wow, okay. So clearly a lot of uh, shifting of the market happening. Clearly information asymmetry is where it's at. And just being able to get within the inner circle of the inner circle of the inner circle of finding out where the moves are being made. And that was the hedge. That was it. And that was, you know, it didn't take much after that. You didn't even have to be first. You just had to be first-ish. In terms of like at the time, ICOs are really popular. Obviously, the regulatory environment has matured just a little bit since then. So those have obviously died. 
But um, yeah, anytime you're in a really early market that's far outpacing where regulators can keep up with it, I think information asymmetries are one of those patterns where you can get an advantage. Okay, so I have, I have some questions because I'm just, me and you could talk for 17 days without stopping, <laughs> but I do have questions. So lottery.com, $421 million when they went public. Yeah. You're the COO. Did you have equity in that business? I did. What was that experience like? Um, well, how I got in there is actually before that, I was helping this guy in LA named Rob Deerdeck build an investment fund. He's um, like a celebrity entrepreneur. You worked with Deerdeck? Yeah, I helped him build the machine, the, the investment thing that he calls the machine. So we built all the, the processes and um, SOPs and diligence and all the proprietary mechanisms. I mean, he evolved it after I left and he's done amazing things with it. But um, that experience, I was like, look, I don't necessarily want to work I don't want to work on the investing side. I want to get back in the game. So I actually invested in lottery. It was called Auto Lotto at the time. It came out of a, an incubator called 500 Startups. It was batch 14. And then, uh, you know, we eventually rebranded to lottery.com. So I invested first and my, my boy was the head of growth. He introduced me to the founders and I joined as the COO and uh, was with them for several years. And yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. I got to learn how to lead at scale. You know, we had, we were a completely virtual company long before the pandemic hit Running, running the game on Slack and Zoom. Actually, I won't even get into what video platforms we were on, but you know, virtual company, uh, well over a hundred employees, and you know, I'm the COO, so I got to run the business, like all the hiring, all of the training, all of the people, and then of course all the legal, all the back end, and then eventually fundraising, investor stuff, and raising capital. And so I got to do a lot at scale in a way that I never had before in an organization that I had a lot of purview over. And um, yeah, man, it was a really big growth opportunity for me. And then what was the process like of you then like leaving that company? You, I'm assuming you kept all of your equity or your shares or whatnot. Yeah. Okay. So this is a crazy, this is a crazy story. So this is going back to, I'll, let me finish this story. So yeah, we've, I've, yes, vested, but, but how it went down, like how I left was, a, it was a completely life-changing moment for me is like, so, at the, you know, the, the company grew and when you grow and you scale and you do your job and you're a leader, like your job is looking at status reports and, you know, it's a very different job than when you're grinding and trying to find a place in the market. You know, you have a lot of time to think, you've got a lot of free time. Well, I invested a lot of that free time other than learning and, and raising money and flying around the world with the founders or otherwise just raising capital. But man, it got to be, it got to be a really interesting experience because this is, this is a huge, huge, huge fail for me. In venture capital fundraising, there's like a lot of what I call success theater. It's like misrepresenting, you know, you're representing the vision of what's possible and selling people on a vision of what you're going to build. But man, there's a lot, of, there's a huge gap between that and where you are today. And that can get pretty slippery. And I'm like a high integrity guy, but I found myself flying around for, you know, almost 18 months, raising money around the clock, hanging out with a lot of people with low integrity. And when you, you know this stuff, but I'll just say it for those that are listening, make no mistake about it not just in a woo-woo way or in some self-help way, but physiologically, you become who you're around. And when you're hanging around with people that are like doing cocaine and hanging out with strippers, and you know, if you want to do that, I don't want to make you wrong for that, but that was not my lane. But that's where I found myself. It was like more money than God-level people, lots of family offices, lots of big money. And you know, I had this very distinct moment. I was in New York City. I was in the penthouse of a hotel. It was like two in the morning. And I'm talking to this, this guy who represents a lot of money at a family office who I won't name. And he excuses himself from the conversation. Now I'm completely sober. I'm drinking water. This guy goes, oh, excuse me one second. In the middle of like a deep conversation, leans over, does a line of blow, 
And then he's like getting himself put back together. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, and then I look over my, his shoulder in the room. There's like all these dudes just came in with strippers. They're about to put up a stripper pole. And you know, I'm like, what am I doing here? And I had this moment right in that moment. It was like God or my intuition just popped into my head and asked me a question. And that question was, you know, what decisions are you making right now that you're going to be proud to explain to your son later? Because I, my wife was back in LA seven or eight months pregnant with my first child. And literally, I just excused myself from that conversation. I went to my hotel, packed my bags, slept on the floor at Newark, and took the first flight home. And I just quit everything. I knew I had to leave that whole world. I just, I didn't know, I knew I believed in my soul that I had to change my environment, I had to change who I was around, even if that meant walking away from being the COO of a half billion dollar company, even if that walked away from an epic, epic opportunity running, you know, a crypto syndicate and being in the center of that universe. And honestly, I spent the last 60 days of my wife's pregnancy really doing soul searching, deep, deep conversations with God, meditation, journal. I live in LA, so I'm on the beach and I needed to hit a reset. So, you know, I wasn't quite vested out of lottery, but man, it was time for me to leave that world. And that's not a reflection of that company or that leadership or those people. That's a separate thing. This was me. I just got myself in these situations and I knew I had to, I had to hit the eject button. It was a big moment for me. How much did you lose from leaving early? Uh, I had probably 28% of my vesting left. We were there three years. I was on a four-year vest, so somewhere in that neighborhood, plus or minus. Yeah, so that's a big decision. People don't understand that that's like, you're actually saying no to something that's like real money. You're saying no to real money. But I think people should know that like at some level of the game, this is going to sound so condescending, but I'm just going to say it. Screw it. You just You figure out that money is like breathing. There is no scarcity to money. There's a lot of it out there. And if you can figure out one or two ways to, whether that's being an entrepreneur or an investor or whatever, there's so many ways to get money and there's so much money out there that you, you really don't have to have a scarcity mindset. And for me, it was like a journey back to integrity. It's impossible to hang on to your integrity when you're running around with the wrong crew. And that's, that's everything. That's everything. Like I was asking myself questions like, well, what does it mean to be a man? You know, my father passed away from cancer like 2013. And um, I didn't have a, I don't, I couldn't just call me like, yo pops, what, what should I do about this whole having a kid thing? You know? And that to me was more important than money. And that, um, which isn't to say like, oh, you know, we're, we're billionaires or any of that. I just think, I just think the money game, once you learn how to play, it's like any other game. You just got to know the rules and you go play. Are there any items that you're super interested in right now that you feel like you don't have time to explore? Or are you pretty much like free autonomous like you spend time on what you love to do or have you escaped the grind so to speak are you still in it yeah oh man i'm addicted to it i love it it's like what i'm here to do because i had to ask you because you're in la and like la is like the world of like lifestyle business coaches and i'm like dude i don't think i could do that i like waking up early i like working hard i like staying late i just like it yeah, dude. I, I mean, I grew up in a farm town called North Plains, Oregon, about 30 miles outside of Portland, Oregon. I had a population of less than a thousand people. And I didn't like know anything about anything when it came to business. All I knew was like, work hard. Like that's yeah, all I yeah. had was like, if you work hard, you might have a chance. And so like, you know, like my father is like the son of a physician. He's we're German. He was in the military. So it was like, I had that background growing up, you know, and it was like, you got to work, you got to put the work in. But what's, what's interesting is, you know, like since then, like I've, dude, I just, I love it though. It's not, it doesn't feel like there are parts, anytime you're outside of your comfort zone, you're going to have you stress and you're going to grow and that's healthy. Right. But I love, I love business. I will never yeah. not do business. There is no retirement. Yeah. I will, I will do this forever. 
I will teach people, I will, you know, whatever, they'll come in different permutations. So to answer your question, like, yeah, I mean, for, for a long time now, I've been able to, to vote with my feet on how I spend my time and what we're involved in. And, I, you know, but I love it. I love it. So I'll, I'll never, I'll never stop. You're like me in that, and so that's good to know. Uh, even though you're from LA, you like to work hard. <laughs> well, actually, I should—I forgot to mention, dude. We we just we're just closing on a house right now uh, on Lake Travis, thirty minutes outside Austin. So we're leaving dude. in like sixty days. We're out. Wow, you're voting with your yeah. feet. Look at that. I'm out. Yeah, I'm voting Look with my that. money and my feet, <laughs> dude. Um, so you're on your third. Your this is your third exit that you're in the middle of, or soon to be, or like yeah. Okay, gotcha. And and then is what's the game behind like let's see behind you want more and better clients. Like it sounds like tractionology is yes, your sir. consulting practice for helping service-based owners scale. Cuz me and you, we couldn't we're literally like shooting past each other. So I come from like <laughs> the big massive like I mean, dude, this year we'll have like 2000 high-ticket clients. Yeah, our agency's yeah. just like blew up. And I'm like it's fun, but like, let's go buy buildings. And I'm wanting to buy buildings and businesses and flip roll-ups and things like that. We're going in opposite directions. What's making you want to do more of the, you know, I call it more traditional like ads on Facebook than fulfill on the client services. What's making you want to do that? The biggest thing is I just see this big opportunity. So when I was working in the Silicon Valley space, you know, like I, I learned this school of thought around like growth hacking and how, you know, there, it's just, a, it's complementary to let's say direct response kind of mentality, but, but it's different, but they're both science-based. They're both fact-based and number-based and you test things. Um, so for example, in Silicon Valley, like it's sacrilegious to, to not get one user or customer and try to and not try to turn them into three or four or five or 10 or a hundred to get a viral coefficient of more than one. But like in, in internet marketing for so many years, it's like, that's the, that's the afterthought. It's just get more clients in the door. And that's, whatever, that's how everybody thinks. And uh, in fact, a lot of the products and services, they just suck. Like no one works on their product. Some people do. It's changing fast. And I shouldn't say nobody. Like the game is evolving fast. But for a long time and way too long, it was like, I just looked at that world and was like, really? Like you guys still haven't figured that out? But then on the flip side, you know, on the Silicon Valley side, it's like, I still feel like they're afraid to sell. They're afraid to have like hardcore sales discussions, you know, um, and especially when it comes to direct response marketing. So there's like what I learned, because I have a lot of friends in both worlds and I've now put one foot in both worlds. There's a lot that both sides have and can learn from. And I'm just a fascinated student of business. And I love teaching. I love coaching. So that that part of it is is uh, is fascinating to me. And so I've been teaching and coaching staff for the last 10 years, you know, and so now it's it's fun to help other people. It's like, oh, you didn't know that? Okay, cool. Well, like I can coach you through that, no, no problem. And I think that that'll get old. Obviously, it's it doesn't. There's no leverage on the time there. But for the time being, like as a student of business and of just having a big heart, you know, and wanting to serve, dude, I love it. Like if I could spend five or ten hours coaching forever, as long as the clients got better and better and better, and we did cooler things together, I could do that for a long, long time. I don't care that it's under leverage use of my time. I, I just enjoy it. Yeah. Well, before I hit record, we were talking about like the direct response, like the greats. And dude, I, I get, in fact, last night, do you have a remarkable tablet? No, I don't. What's that? Dude, it's awesome. It's, you write with it. But it's like, it's like the Kindle, like the e-ink, you know? Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I don't have a referral code or anything like that because I don't do that. I, I don't have any referral codes. But I'm gonna, I gotta send it to you because it's one of my favorite devices of all time because we all have iPads and devices and things like that things like that but there's no notifications you can just write on it and 
but I have all of my sales letters on it, like old sales letters, like all the Eugene Shorts and, uh, you know, the John Caples and the Dan Kennedys. And um, every once in a while, I go into that folder and I'm just like, bro, there's a, almost a almost a spirituality to it. And I think it's because that's where we came from. It's like, man, I love reading these direct response pieces of copy because to me, it's like art. It's like the pinnacle expression of human psychology at the time when it was written, you know? Um, and so I get sucked back into it, but there's also a, something to be said for, you know, I think that it's funny that the reason we're moving in different directions right now is simply because of the novelty of each other's space. Like I've got stuff owned on this side and you've got stuff owned on where I'm headed, but it's so exciting for us to get into new things and dominate. That's the game more than anything else because there's opportunity everywhere, but it's like there's so much novelty in learning something new that's not boring. I've got a lot to learn. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, 100%. I mean, did you, by the way, speaking of sales letters, did you do, who was it? They recommended that you, uh, was it Boren? Oh, the Boren letters where you re yeah. write other people's sales Gary letters. Gary Did you do that? Halbert, yeah. I that's did. Right. That's that's how yeah, I yeah, learned. Yeah, like, same. I did that for 14 months and it was like, dude, you almost gave yourself carpal tunnel. You know, like your, your wow, hand dude, hurts. You're, you're committed. I did it for like a week. <laughs> I was like, I went, nah, I went all <laughs> the way, dude. I went all the way. But it's, but now I can write and like, dude. I'm not saying that my copy is the best in the world. Like I have stuff to, to that I'm not as great no, at. I've atrophied in different, I but I I can write stuff so fast, and I don't think it's because of any certain like my brain's not any different. There's a muscle memory in my like musculature that I can just I know how words are supposed to fit together because I did that for 14 months. You know? Yeah, I mean, dude. Like at the end of the day. Um, when I read, uh, when I started going deep into Peter Drucker, you know, long before Tony Robbins and all these guys started quoting him and taking him out of context or whatever, no disrespect to Tony, but you know, like he literally, when he talks about the two most important things in business being marketing and innovation, the first thing I was like, cool, I'm going to go learn innovation, you know? And then, you know, I woke up in the middle of my run at lottery and was like, dude, I got to learn marketing. I like, I not just have to learn it. I think learning isn't just memorizing crap. You have to do learning is doing yeah, it's evidence is behavior change. So I was like, all right, I got to go. I got to go put myself in a position to do this. And so another part of this, uh, move in opposite directions is me leaning into that. You know, I started that in end of 17 and it's giving myself full, a full runway to, to lean in that direction. Because I, that really is where all the magic happens in business. And like, if if I want to master this game, I have to master that. I have to master that at the highest levels, right? It's so weird. You know, people talk about blue oceans and red oceans, and like, I see a red ocean, I just want to run head first into it, and I'll figure that out. I got all these. You're people. crazy, it's, man. Yeah, it, it. I mean, but but it's not not forever because. Um, I I think maybe the fastest way to learn is to go do that. It's to go get beat up a little bit. That is true. Okay, now that is true. What you just said is, that is true. Here's why I hate the Red Ocean. It's like, and Peter Thiel talks about this with competition, and Warren Buffett talks about this cycle. You'll get into something, you'll do it really well, high profit, then that attracts competitors, that drives the profit down, so your marginalization gets out of whack. Then you've got to let this, the ground settle before profit can be driven up again. And dude, I think the thing that, and good luck, man. More power to you. Like you're coming into into this market. I'll help you any way I can. But in the internet marketing space, like they there's this thing called like copywriting is legitimately like most people think that if you literally just copy your competitors, 
And to an extent that happens in every industry. I'm not saying that it's, that it's all wrong. But the Red Ocean, if it was Red Ocean and competitive because there were worthy opponents, I think it would be one thing. But because much of the saturation that at least I've experienced in the market is literally people copying and pasting because of the lack of regulation. Dude, I hate that shit so much. It makes me so angry. And it's like a good growth opportunity for me, but it makes me so mad. Okay, so when I see that, 100% agree, and, and, and I, there needs to be way more regulation, especially on claims. That being said, when I see that, you know what I think the biggest competitive advantage in this space is right now? It's seeing people. It's having, it's having genuine empathy. Because when, when someone feels seen and you see enough people and you find the pattern, you'll write better copy. You can write crappier copy and just show up more effectively, and that's what's going to convert. So like, as I've run headfirst into this, that's my first big insight is like, man, when I can sit with someone, um, like I take, whenever I launch a new product, I will for sure take the first X sales calls, whatever, 100 sales calls, because I want to see people, not just physically, but I want to see what's going on with them. And you know, it might be a script, but it might be just me digging in and being empathetic with like 100 people, and then I can't not see the pattern. And when I see the pattern and I can see people, then we can put that as marketing and print, and that's a whole nother ballgame. Most people don't do the work, though. They just want to offer hack or copy or whatever the latest guru is Funnel teaching. Hack. They just, whatever, yeah, whatever. They just, they're hacking. It's not a hack. You got to love the game. And when you love the game, it's like, yeah, when you love the game, like hacking seems sacrilegious to me. I don't want to make anybody wrong for that. I get it. There's shortcuts. There's 80-20. But dude, like you got to get all the way into the deep end of the pool. And that's, that's how you learn how to swim. Dude, I feel the same way about the cell phone or the, or just a phone in general. The other day I was working on one of our client success teams for one of the divisions. And I got so frustrated because I was like, you guys aren't taking phone calls. You're not calling clients. You're not calling people. And I was like, you guys are not a CS team. You're Comcast. That's who you are. <laughs> and Ouch. they were like, confu- like, oh my God, like what's going on right now? I was like, call the people. Like they've spent money with us. They deserve a phone call. Even if it's just Hey, we saw that you put in a ticket. Like we'd love love to help you. And I just want to let you know that it's handled. You know, that that that's all it has to be. It's funny that there are like differing schools of thought. Cause if you go into like talk about Silicon Valley, go into Reed Hoffman worlds, and he's very much so like, don't answer the phones. Just let let the phones ring because that is like people pay pay for the software, they get what they get, and we have to scale and some fires have to burn. It's interesting that capitalism has enough space inside of it for both theses, like both theses can win. Yeah. But you double down on whatever you're passionate about, and out of that passion comes your competitive advantage. Oh, 100%. But, you know, look, I think, first of all, there's like, if you contextualize the, the Reed Hoffman or the, the technology ethos, it's, it's coming from the mental model of an engineer, a software engineer, which is a special kind of antisocial engineer. It's like extra antisocial, right? And so, like, of course, they're going to engineer success in a way that, doesn't, that minimizes human interaction. But there is wisdom in that because at some level, when you're when you're actually blitz scaling, when you're scaling legit, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of users, like, dude, you don't have time to touch everybody. That's a whole different game. But everybody starts at zero and everybody has to come up with a hypothesis. And that hypothesis is almost all creativity. It's not the mechanical mind. I mean, that mechanical mind will influence it. And and interacting with human beings is where that's the most fertile ground to go figure out the best hypothesis and see the opportunity. So, they, you know, they say that and they, they, you know, it's true, but it all starts with that intuitive human connection and, and you have to be connected. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. Speaking of engineering and antisocial, are you a Tesla fan? 
Got the X in the driveway right now. Okay, so yes. Um, so I, I found out today from Market Movers, Tesla's option market is bigger than Amazon. <laughs> Isn't that, uh, but that's it, insane. But is that Tesla's fault or is that the market that's been pumped full of cash and is disconnected from fundamentals for 20 years now or 10 whatever years? Like, I think, I think people are just playing off of the volatility of like, a founder like Elon, who is really, he's not the most social person ever. And the things that they're doing are crazy. I, do you have the new Tesla, like the new Plaid? No, I don't know how to pronounce it. I, I have the X. We, we got it this, this year, I think. Yeah, this year. Okay. So I got, I got the, I got my new, I got the new one delivered Friday. It's the craziest hey. thing in the world, man. It's the craziest thing in the world. There's no gear shift. There's no blinker. The thing puts itself into driver reverse. It just knows. Uh, there's no steering wheel. It's a yoke. And wow. I think, I think like it's funny because my last Tesla, I was having some maintenance issues, and they just don't answer their phone and they don't talk to you and they don't. And but when I talk to one of the people at the places that's fixing it, they're like. We're trying to engineer maintenance out of the machines. Yeah. So they're not putting Smart. a lot of money into the maintenance departments. They're understaffed. They don't have enough people to communicate. And it's like, I'm frustrated by that when something goes wrong. But then if I think about it, I've only had one issue ever with any of my Teslas. And I've been driving Teslas for seven years. It's, it represents like kind of a weird threading of the needle. It's like, we're not even going to staff this department fully. We're going to engineer the problem out of the product itself. I wonder how that applies to like our world, like internet marketing, client success programs. I don't know if it turns into don't talk to your customers as much, but I do think it turns into build better products, like way better products, like really iterate on the product. How many people have a course that they're selling for like 5,800 bucks hasn't been refreshed in three years? 5800 bucks that's hilarious or, or whatever or t or 10 grand or whatever their their core their low ticket thing or whoever's using a course to facilitate their client fulfillment dude and, and it hasn't been refreshed in 3 years you haven't learned anything in 3 years new technology hasn't come out you haven't found a more interesting way to serve the client and get them a result with with less headaches and better time or better insights or whatever i mean your job is to curate information and share your wisdom you have you know so i think the product experience is the best surface area for us the model there which is akin to what you were describing with tesla right like they're basically and they're making the product so great it's we don't need engine we don't need people to fix it right it's we fire. can minimize yeah dude but imagine like there is a there is an equivalent to that in our world in, in the knowledge world right it's already like this whole education market as you know is a it's over a billion dollar a day industry now and it's only going to get crazier as we disrupt education you know what's even crazier than that is the freelance market, which is like trillion plus. And the cool thing about freelance is like, dude, there's not as much offerings out there. The, the Mind Valley and like a couple of these other like rinky dink $400 per year, really good stuff, but it's not targeted. It's not customized. So I think there's even with um, traffic and funnels, like we're making some moves in the freelance space because when you take the things that work in, in consulting and man, I know that TF has been around for six, seven years. We built a lot of the stuff that's like being used and repurposed now by like all of the red ocean. If you take that, the stuff that still works in freelance, it's not like it works marginally. It's like you just owned the entire vertical. Dude, and, and well, it, the adjacent market is the creator economy. 
So there's yeah. freelancers, but that's just a one component of the creator economy and the creator economy is even bigger, right? So if you start thinking about applying the same techniques to the broader creator economy and, and influencers and content creators, I mean, it's, a, it's, it, they have their own tricks. That's a whole other world that has their own tricks. That I think we could learn a lot from, but dude, yeah, you dominate. It's not, it's, it's not a, um, it's like an order of magnitude improvement. It's not like, oh, I got in my conversion rate where it was, you know, 30 or 40% instead of 10 or 20, you know, it's, it's a whole nother ball game. It's multiplication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes you think that part of product iteration is really good market selection, at least part of it. Yes. That, I mean, okay. So if Dan Kennedy was right and he's like, it's the offer stupid. Well, then the next one is it's the market stupid. Cause like you can have the world's greatest offer in this worst market and it's the same logic applies. So pick the market and then make a great offer and you're, you know, you're cooking with gas. So are, are you into the artificial intelligence space, the AI? Oh, dude, you have no idea. Yes. So like this actually wasn't a... Are you like concerned like Elon is? No, I, I'm, I'm more in the, the abundance mindset camp on this one. I'll go all the way to the heart of it. I do think that we need regulation fast. We need it yesterday. We needed it 10 years ago. This is going to get ahead of us much faster than any of us can imagine. We don't have, we, we, you know, we evolved as a species, however you subscribe to that philosophy, uh, linearly, right? We don't have mental models for exponential geometric change, right? Like, like at all. And I think that's, the, that's kind of at least one aspect of Elon's thesis as, as why we should be afraid. I think that's why he, you know, that's why he leans into that. But dude, there's, there's so much that AI is going to do AI will be more important than fire or electricity. Maybe not fire, but definitely electricity or the car. Like it's going to change everything and way faster than we think. I, I man, I'm stuttering on it because I'm I'm still baffled by a how crazy it is and b how little and how few people appreciate what's coming. Oh, this is like I have so many questions. Do you think that like universal basic income? is an inevitability of the technological advancement that we're going to see from AI? Ooh, I haven't even thought about that. So universal basic income, meaning we put so many people out of work, we have to pay them, otherwise they'll revolt and society will collapse or something like that? Yeah, 100%. Like I, because okay. I, I understand, I'm, I'm capitalist, you're obviously capitalist, but there is an element where it's like, if you think about this, it's like, people, what are people going to do? Like, they're, not, they're going to be replaced. So it makes sense in that frame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't actually thought about this at a tactical level. So I don't know specifically to your question around universal basic income as like a solution. But I, I, am, an, I am an optimist. I think as a species, we're, we're incredibly intelligent. We're designed to create and thrive and adapt and uh, not without significant pain. But I do think there's going to be tremendous innovation. Like, like here's another crazy example. Dude, what if we go to space way faster? How many more jobs are going to be up there than down here? And how many more people where you need to learn things, physical things with your hands? And, and how much faster can we fast track people's ability to learn when they have an AI custom teaching them to their preferences, like teaching them with their mental models and their experience and what happened with on their newsfeed yesterday or in their life yesterday? Like, I don't know, may, maybe we create even more jobs than get nuked because of everything that's happening in this whole new terrain called space. And that's just one idea. I mean, I think about like the shift of like energy, right? Like the the price for solar is going so low. I mean, right now I think there's some supply chain issues like there are with everything. But I think energy changes from oil to solar 
And then the power changes from oil-rich nations to land and sun-rich nations. And dude, there's going to be so much physical opportunity for people to do things. So in the Western world, in America, North America, we should be pretty freaked out. But as a species, I think there's where we get dinged, other cultures that haven't had a shot are going to get crazy opportunities if we don't go and screw it up for them or whatever. I agree. Are you a fan of Michael Saylor? Not really. I mean, I don't I don't know enough about Michael Saylor to have like a strong opinion one way or the other. Are you into Bitcoin much or no? Not not as much. You're an Ethereum guy, aren't you? Yeah, yeah for sure. I can just I, I mean, can I'm, just I'm, tell. I'm I'm into Bitcoin because it's like here's why I'm into Bitcoin. This this is like I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, but I'll tell you why I'm into it. Simple, dude. Like Al Reese and Jack Trout already gave you that game. If you if you name the category, if you name the category, you got it. They got that category. When every, until until we have a, a mass propagation and proliferation of everybody adopting digital distributed assets, the minute you think of crypto, the first thing that pops in your head is what? Bam, can't lose, to some extent, for a while. So I don't even care about the tech, just for, on that alone. The reason I asked you about Michael Saylor is because he has this really good thesis or story. It, it's it's on the the What Is Money show, and there's like nine of them. He goes through, and this thing, we went to Turks and Caicos over the summer. My friend Jack Butcher was like, listen to this on your vacation. And I listened to all like 20 hours of it and was like, oh my God like life is over as I know it, like crypto and Bitcoin, like everything's changing. Like when you get it for the first time, it gets you. It's not just like, oh, I understand. It's like, no, I learned Bitcoin because Bitcoin understood me first. It's like, you know, anyways. <laughs> so, but he's got this idea of like, man, when you boil everything down, and I forget what we were talking about that made me think of this, is like water is like your most fundamental currency and then you have like air and food and energy and all these things and so his his idea is that bitcoin is just the most sophisticated storage of energy but it was interesting to me because i i I was thinking you had heard that because you were talking about sunlight and water and how the country and the ecosystems kind of like compete for power based on resource yeah i i haven't but i i'll dig into it man i i think that uh i think we innovate our way out of this the energy uh, issues in, in crypto. Like right now, when you look at crypto, there's two big things holding back scale or, or holding back mass adoption. One of them is technological scale. And part of that includes energy, right? A lot of people are working on solving that problem. There's been a lot of progress made this year. The other thing is um, is right now, it's, it's I'll just call it like, like a rich UI experience. Like right now, the whole blockchain ecosystem, crypto, whatever you're involved with, it's like it's like the nuts and bolts are exposed. You know, it's like if you've seen Iron Man, the movie Iron Man 1, when he gets trapped in the cave and he has to build that suit to blast his way out and shoot in the air. It has has all the metal and all the wires exposed and it was just like the shadow of itself. And then by the end of the movie, he's got the Iron Man suit and it's this polished, beautiful, engineered thing. Well, like today in blockchain, we like we're kind of we're kind of in that weird suit that came out of the cave. Like even having to use like cold storage and even using MetaMask to to interact between different interfaces, like all of that, just feels like this that suit. Like it, it works. It did its job. It's doing its job. It's getting better, but it's not the suit that we all want. And I think we need to get this to that point. I think what that looks like is rich web interfaces, the same way people are used to using the internet today, but with obviously a Web three back to it. And when we the, the more we can move in that direction, and the more that we can achieve true scale, that's when this thing is going to change so fast that it's going to make everybody's head spin. And that's when all the all the things, all the innovation for Web3 that everyone's been talking about are going to come to fruition. And it, it, it's funny, dude, it happens in like, 
like at first it happened like six year cycles. Then it was like four, then it was like two. And now I feel like it's like every six months, there's big firecrackers of innovation happening in the space. Here's my question for you on that, because you're way ahead of me on this, but here's where my brain just naturally goes as far as questions. Does that require centralization? You know, we don't want to end up with stark industries, you know, like at what point do we accept a bit of inefficiencies as a trade-off for a bit more decentralized or competitive landscape? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It has to, dude. Like it has to, because like true decentralization requires no corporations and no business entities. And like right now, you know, you've got DAOs, which are great. They're moving in that direction. Like DAOs are good at like facilitating known transactions between people or people and computers, 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 or whatever. But DAOs are terrible at things like multi-signature commercial real estate acquisitions. But they're going to be great at that eventually, right? They're, they're going to figure that out. Once we have AI. Of course. But but the bridge between now and then is we have to use like, like out here in the meat world and the real human world, we have to use what we have out here to bridge where we're at with the technology. So, you know, and that might look like, for example, let's say you have a DAO and you want to do a real estate transaction. Well, you're probably still going to have to work with, you know, title. And you're probably still going to have to have someone file it at the courthouse until the government adopts whatever they need to adopt, right? And, or, or until we break free from that completely. I think that's just one of many examples where if you understand that Manifest Destiny is that every third party intermediary in the world is going to get crushed and eliminated eventually, and today, well, the gap between that is a, is a hybrid, I think. And I think that's totally okay and natural and it, it's needed to get where, we, where we're going. Yeah, a thousand percent. I love that. I went to trans uh tractionology <laughs> i was gonna say transactionology <laughs> is that tied to eos no no it's not so like not at all like eos eos is great if you want to grow 20 percent a year or whatever like with like proven processes to help you scale i think eos is an amazing model but you know like i'm trying to create a set of tools and methodologies to help you grow 200 or 2000 percent without losing your head and uh, i know that sounds bold and i don't mean to demean them like they do good work uh, i know a lot of people that are involved with that uh, but it's just it's just it's been propagated at such a level and and when you propagate something like that through business it gets it gets a little watered down and it, and it because it needs to be applied to so many scenarios my thing is, how do we take Silicon Valley level scale into service-based businesses and then slap AI on it and help everybody just go crazy? So for now, for now, it's basic. It's what are the patterns and basic building blocks that you need at each stage of where you're at in your business, right? So if, you're, if you haven't validated your market, you shouldn't be doing certain things to automate and scale. And if you've automated and scale, but you've only got like, let's say one primary traction channel, well, you should probably shore that up before you start hiring a bazillion people to de-risk your business. And then if you've got a decent staff and you've got all the right things in place, well, then you need to not be spending your time in the weeds. And you know all this stuff, but like, not very many people understand how clear these patterns are. And I think that not only are they, they're, they're so clear they can almost be scientific, not to take the art out of business, but they're so clear when you've gone through all three of them multiple times that it's like, Okay, here comes that curveball again. That's going to go right there, left to center. Perfect. So, and and you know, there's so many people that don't see that. They just don't see the matrix. That you know, it just seems it seems obvious to me. I want to make it obvious to other people for a fee, of course. Hundred percent. One of my business partners on the services side uh, says, "Validate before you automate," and it's like become a T-shirt, basically. Yeah, that's like the mantra of my book. 
Tractionology, by the way. So it's a it's like a dollar ninety nine for yeah. online access. Yeah, for the PDF. Nice. How long did that take you to write? There's two perspectives on that. I can either say it took me 15 years to write or it took me six weeks to write. Yeah, right, right. Uh, it took me 15 years to get the experience. It took me like, it took me like six weeks. That's fast, by the way, dude. That's fast. I mean, it flew out of me. I wanted to write a different book, a complete, which I'm, I'm going to write in 22. But um, this book needed to be written. It just like I sat down to write one book and this one would not. It just came out, right? So my coach... He's no longer coaching me because we're, we're doing a project together. So I kind of stepped out of that relationship with him. But it's a guy named Brian Franklin. And Brian was Reed Hoffman's coach. So Brian and I were doing a ton of work over the last year or so. And um, one day we had this thing where I was going deep on purpose. Like what's my reevaluating my purpose like at the end of next year. And one of Brian's magic superpowers is, is he sees people. Like I learned how to see people by just having him see me. It was this crazy experience. And I realized how powerful that can be. And... One day he just saw me and I was like, hey, I was telling him I was going deep on purpose. And he was like, well, I think I have a pretty good sense of what your zone of genius is and what your purpose might be. Can I feed it to you? And he fed it to me. And it was like the first time anybody had put words to an intuitive thing that I've had my whole life and I felt seen. And, and that thing charged me, dude. It, it was like it was like connecting a nine volt battery to like your the, the power cable to your house. I mean, I just, I, I just went ham and it was i'd happened to be in the, in the you know the end of last year like mid-november to december so i just busted the book out i came home i'd drive to like palos verdes and watch the sunrise and i would just jam and it it, it was easy man it came out super fast and i've, I've already rewritten it and it, i'm iterating as i get feedback from people so we're going to do another edition because i can't not iterate but um but yeah dude it, it came out fast and it wasn't because it was sloppy and chintzy it's because it was already in me i just needed to get all that shit off me and feel fully charged to get it out quickly. Yeah. That people say that like I see these great images of like how many blocks of time you have left and time management and it's like they're good. Like when you put your life into perspective, you realize you don't have that much time. But I guess what I've found especially recently is it's all about energy. And you can have as much time in the world, but if you don't have energy, you can't maximize or or enjoy it. And uh, this is something I really had to pay attention to because you probably felt this. It's like you get the end to the end of a journey or a season and it's like you have to find that thing that makes you excited again. The novelty, if you will. And uh, I've been through p- periods of life where I have plenty of time, but I have no energy and it hasn't felt like I have plenty of time. And then I've, I'm in seasons like right now. I'm in a season right now where it's like, man, my, my days are crazy. I am booked back to back to back to back there's seven brands everybody wants a piece you know but i'm so excited about where i'm headed that it's almost like i have all the time in the world it's like the energy is there and i think there needs to be more training on this topic or at least somebody talking about it because i don't hear a lot of it i don't hear a ton of like energy management or energy creation maybe brendan or tony some of these guys but even them you know maybe you you could you should take that and like run with that because it's not, it's not even the time. It's the energy. And like, that's what you're explaining. You got your energy back. And man, it's just like something that would have taken six years was condensed into six weeks because you had energy. Dude, a hundred, a hundred percent. And and it's all self-controlled. There's definitely a physiological aspect to it of which I think sleep is the, the 95.5, right? King. So Are like, you Whoop yeah, or Aura? Aura. You like really? you, you like Whoop? I've, I've, I haven't tried Whoop. My, my old, one of my best friends and business partners, he, he switched and he loves it. 
I think Whoop is more like it depends on what you want. If you just want to track sleep, I think Aura is the best. Whoop does a great yeah. job at tracking recovery. So it's more holistic mm, in my opinion. Yeah. It takes in – its algorithm is more sophisticated and it doesn't just track sleep. I Aura tracks a, several different things, but it's the main thing. Like let's be honest, it's sleep. Yeah, um, sleep's the thing. Whoop, whoop is like what's your HRV, but not just your HRV. What's your HRV in your final deep sleep period? And then they take that and they meet it with your resting heart rate, but in the last recovery phase of your sleep. And then they mm. take your sleep time. And so it's just there's more thought put into it. I think it's because it was designed for athletes. Yeah. Uh, which is a bit more sophisticated. But I think a Whoop is – for me, Whoop is a lot more accurate. Sometimes I wake up and my readiness score on Aura doesn't match how I feel. For sure, Aura is like directionally correct at best. If it was accurate, I'd be probably yeah. be dead. I, I don't, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to see the trend line. But if, if you're telling me Whoop can do all that, like I've gone through some. Like I quit drinking. I quit caffeine for the first time in my adult life this year to get my sleep scores up. Oh, you, you have to try and do a, a Whoop because – it also the thing about Whoop is its algorithm takes into effect uh, account your sleep notes, and so it quizzes you every morning. It's like, did you have alcohol? Yes or no. When did you do it? And did you have enough water? Yes or no. How many ounces? Did you have tobacco? Like all these things. Um, there's like 150 things you can select what you want to be quizzed on. And then I just got my uh, performance assessment review for last month for my Whoop, and it's like if you eat late. This is how much it decreases your sleep by. And this is the time you need to stop eating. And I was like, whoa, this is pretty in-depth because it's tracking the time. All right. I'm, I'm definitely getting one. Bro, like, you, you, you need to get in. Where, where's the sponsorship at? You need, we need to. I don't set up any affiliate or any referral things. So I'm like, I don't really care about that. But the things I love, I freaking love. Like I will sell you. I will sell you Teslas all day long. I won't make a dime off of it. But you'll be happier as a human, and therefore I'll be happier as a human. I've been trying to get Chris Evans to buy a Tesla forever. And it's just like, man, he's old man stuck in his ways. He wants to drive a gas vehicle. I'm like, man, you are missing out on so much life, so much utility. Hey, you have man, no idea. You got to stop being an or guy and be an and guy. You got to have there both. There you go. 100%. 100%. Dude, um, anything else that I, that I should have asked you that I didn't and you want me to ask before we wrap up? Isn't that the hardest question to answer? It is because there's so many, we could just, you said we could go 17 hours on this stuff. Um, I'll just dig into this energy thing as, as, as the last piece here, right? Like you, we talked about it, we kind of shifted really quick. What's the most precious resource on the world, right? People used to think it's oil, then they said it's data, and then, and then you know, smarter people might say that it's attention, but I think it's energy because energy is potent attention, on demand, on call, fueled, right? And so like in many ways, like the last two or three years of my life have been optimizing for that. Like I haven't had it. I haven't drank alcohol in like 1400 days or something. I only, I, like I, I do time restricted eating. Like I, don't, I, I wait 18 hours between feed windows. I use this app called zero since they first came out. I have like, I think my streaks like 1800 days of consecutive intermittent fasting or time restricted eating. And I'm not doing that because I love it or I want to be cool or I'm like even into that, that into biohacking. I guess I am now because I'm, I want that potent. I want to create the conditions for that charge. Yeah. To come through. Right. And so, and, and it's in some ways it's like, it starts being a little spiritual where you, if you take care of the temple and you set the conditions to be the right way, when you have the right openings, let's say from a consciousness perspective or from God or however you want to give credit to that for, you know, I, when you get these moments, man, it's, those are the moments where 
they're like it's like surfing if you've ever been surfing you might go out and and you know one of the best things you can learn as a surfer is how to read the waves like just how to wait for the right wave if you get on the wrong wave and you get on the board it's it's like a whole struggle but if you get the right wave when you get on the board you can do anything that you want it feels like magic that's the same way with these like potent energy windows um, and, and if I feel like if you can create the right conditions in your life, especially when you're young, if you're young and you're listening to this or watching this and you're like, whatever, like I'm young and invincible, I've got infinite energy, like half a Red Bull, I get that. Well, let me tell you a secret that you probably already know. I'm 39 now. Like, like the older you get, your physiology is going to change and your opportunity to grab these windows starts to decrease unless you start building the habits. So build them now so that you never have to slow down, right? And you can, you can basically create these conditions all the time. And then the rest of it is mental. And that's a whole other discussion, which I know you're deep in that game too. And it goes both ways. You got to weed the garden of the mind and you got to take care of your body. And then you get the chance to create these conditions where if you catch that charge, you catch that wave, dude, you're unstoppable. There is no limits. You're truly unstoppable. And I feel like if you didn't listen to anything that we said, but you got that and you started paying attention to that, that's what everybody with money wants. That's what everybody that's rich and has optionality and are bathing in free time. That's what they want. They want that. And they would trade you because with more energy, they would get their money right back. Oh, for sure. By the way, Tony and Peter Diamandes are coming out with a book in February called Life Force. It's basically all about this stuff. So Amazing. Um, one other thing, and we should talk about this on our next podcast because we need to get you back on is cold showers. Are you take, do you take cold showers? No, I, I, saw, I saw your post in, in Levels of Wealth. I did cold showers for like six months in 2016, and then it just got annoying. But um, I have a cold plunge like ready to roll. Like as soon as we move into our house in Austin, I'm using it. Um, I was going to a spa to get my cold plunge, uh, my cold therapy, if you will, but huge, huge fan of that. But dude, there is some gnarly psychological torture associated with a cold shower because my Neurosynaptic connections are so used to the warm shower. It's such a pain. It's in my worse. Ass. It is worse. I don't mind too. the cold plunge. The cold shower is the worst, though. Full immersion is not quite as bad. Not having full immersion means it takes longer for your body to like figure out what the hell is happening. It's the worst thing ever. Like I, I can't explain how bad it is. But at the same time, I feel like Superman. Like I can do anything after doing that. But we'll talk about oh, that yeah. later. Yeah. We'll talk about for that sure. later. We'll put. Here's what we'll do. We'll put some stuff in the show notes. We'll send some people because I think what you're doing is fantastic. I'd love to help in any way that I can. Thanks for coming on the show. Let's get you back on the show uh, so that we can talk about what to do when the robots take over all of our jobs. And we'll plan that out for, for career mapping for people. And then we'll go from there. But thanks for your time. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it. <laughs>